This podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, Innovations in Enrollment Management. Learn more at enrollmentresources.com. Welcome, everyone, to the uh, webinar, What's Ahead in 2017 for Career Education. In fact, the slide that you see here is really the only slide you're going to see. So it's not a typical webinar. It's more like a nice phone conversation and interview. And we're having it with Sally Samuels, who's the Director of Compliance for FAME, Jennifer Flood, President and CEO of National Compliance Group, and Lee Doubleday, who's sponsor, and he's the Director of Operations for Career College Central and also Imagine America Foundation. Welcome to the three of you. We're really looking forward to this. Our hosts are Greg Meeklejohn and Shane Sparks, and we're Enrollment Resources. Um, I would say let's go ahead, gang. Okay, thanks, Catherine. Hey, welcome, everybody. And uh, today we're going to uh, look around the corners, as it were, and uh, see what uh, two th 2017 might possibly hold for us as a sector in terms of uh, schools individually. So, uh, my name is Greg Meekeljohn. I'm co founder of Enrollment Resources along with Shane Sparks. And uh, before we begin, I'd just like to have a quick little chat with Lee, Lee Doubleday, who is the Ops Director for Career College Central. Lee, thank you so much for being involved in this uh, podcast today. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what's coming up with Career College Central, some of the changes that you're yeah. making for the coming year, and uh, let's have yeah. a word. Yeah, hey, uh, thanks, Greg, uh, very much, and uh, thank you for having me. Um, for those of you who are not familiar, my name is Lee Doubleday. I work for the Imagine America Foundation. I've been here probably about four years now. Um, and so uh, we've got a couple of new things coming up uh, in 2017. We, um, you know, for those of you that don't know, actually in, in 2014 or 2015, I guess it was, we uh, were donated the Career College Central magazine from what uh, was Platform but is now KeyPath. Um, and after doing that, uh, we have just now completed our first year of being uh, completely on our own and um, moved some of the content to be more focused on uh, careers, uh, not just careers, but also promoting the benefits of career and technical education to the general public as well. Um, we look forward to doing that uh, in 2017, um, you know, to, to a broader audience, uh, now including you know, the nonprofit sector, the for-profit sector, more uh, high schools, uh, workforce development boards, and VA offices all across the United States as well. Um, so we are, we are very dedicated uh, to uh, promoting the, uh, the career college space. So in 2017, some new stuff that we're going to be doing. Um, for starters, we are actually in the development of a mobile application or a mobile app. Um, so we will be able to start delivering our news, uh, not only the uh, the week in review. So if, if any of you don't get that week in review, we'd be more than happy to uh, have you sign up at the end of the presentation. But uh, we'll be able to deliver that weekly news along with all of our magazines now in a digital format on our mobile app. Um, and then the only other big thing that we got coming up for 2017 is that we're actually moving from a bi-monthly publication to a uh, publication four times a year. Um, so. Uh, I think that pretty much covers you know what's going on with Career College Central. Um, we're very much looking forward to sponsoring this uh, webinar and and seeing what you guys have to say. So why don't uh, we kick it off? Okay, thanks, Lee. And uh, maybe uh, we'll take some notes and find some of these insights in the magazine and uh, for uh, Q1. You never know. Um, yes, so, folks, we're going to um, uh, <laughs> the uh, we're going to start. We're going to go through a number of, of um, trends that we as a panel see could develop over the next year, and we're, we're going to just state the trend, and then we're, going to we're just going to speak to it as a group. And um, so let's uh, let's just start. So one of the things that we're that Shane alluded to a little bit earlier is that uh, despite uh, your preferred personal politics, the way that government is organized organized now is um, that. Some of the regulations that career schools in particular have been saddled with um, should start to melt away um, over time. Um, Sally, um, Sally Samuels, do you have any thoughts on that? It's kind of in your wheelhouse a bit. 
Yeah, I, I really think and hope, obviously, that uh, with the change in administration and more Republicans in office, they've always been a little more friendly to the private career sector's needs and uh, understand our business a little bit more. Again, our incoming president is a uh, businessman, so hopefully he will take pity on all of us that are in business and give us some relief. There are some things they can do. Um, the Barler Defense Rule is extremely uh, restrictive and horrible for our industry, obviously. And since that regulation does not go into effect until July next year, um, the president does have the ability to put a halt to that one until he has a chance to review it more and decide whether it's a good uh, regulation or whether they want to change it in some way. Some of the other regulations yeah, so that we're dealing with, yeah, do you want me to stop? Uh, just for a quick sec, so um, uh, to clarify, so my understanding is there are some regulations that can be reversed right away by presidential order, and then there's other regu um, regulations that need to kind of weave their way through Congress. Is that right? It is. It is. Anything that's not final. So this was already a, a final reg, but you've not implemented any portion of it yet. So he could delay the implementation while he's not really going to overturn it yet, but he could delay the implementation, which would obviously give us some relief until they have a chance to look at that uh, regulation and see what else we can do with it. We don't have much hope for GE other than he could actually implement delaying the final rates coming out. If we implement okay. the final rates coming out, that would mean we wouldn't have to publish the failing schools yet. They wouldn't have to add those additional disclosures, which are devastating for many of the schools. Okay, that's very interesting. Now, Jennifer Flood, you're kind of in the same area as Sally to a degree. Uh, why don't you expand on what she said here? This is very interesting. Sure. Uh, one thing that I have been trying to pay more attention to lately are more of the state leaders. Um, Trump said on a number of occasions that he thinks education needs to be managed at a more local level. Uh, we've seen a lot of AGs in the last couple of years step up and start taking um, action against schools, uh, you know, that are uh, functioning in their own state. So while from a federal perspective, we, we might be a little more lax, we still have massive suits going on at the state level with some of our school partners. So it, it's definitely something to watch. Um, I would, it'll be interesting to see which states sort of um, move schools around from, from state to state where we have friendlier laws. Um, oh. I think they'll be less, less focused on higher education uh, because of the new um, secretary coming in for education is, is far more K through 12 uh, charter focused. I think we'll see a lot of changes there, which really takes the spotlight off of uh, our industry in specific. Um, but it, it's certainly something that, that I think we should explore and pay attention to is, you know, moving around from state to state where we have a little more uh, business-friendly atmospheres. So it's definitely something to look forward to. Huh. Shane, that all this regulation stuff is, is crap, but it seems to be there's a tiny bit of uh, breathing room now, hey? Well, yeah, so my, my question is, is, is this like a situation where you, you don't want to be the last guy killed at the end of World War II, right? Like where there's, you know, there's hopefully an end in sight, there's still skirmishes, and it's still keep your head down in the foxhole until, you, you know, the ceasefire is, is declared. Is that, you know, I'm curious for either Sally or Jennifer if that's kind of the situation we're in from your perspective. I, I don't think you can keep your head down on the fox hole and hope for the best. You still have to be very proactive, dealing with your legislators, making sure they know who you are, getting them to your schools so that they can see what you do. Um, the cosmetology group is going to be hit very hard because many of those schools actually have failed the rates. So that means if the final um, information comes out, they would have to start posting that they might not be able to complete the program if the student starts at this point, and there's a you know it's kind of like activity there. 
that that whole process where if you you fail the gainful employment rates um, and you have to publish it explicitly um, on the website for all to see, it's kind of like you know a guy going on a first coffee date with a gal and then having to tell her that he was in prison for a bunch of years or something like that. I mean, like how do you broach that? I mean, it's God. You're not you're not going to have any choice. It the language is very specific. It will be. Uh, on the disclosure template, and even if the school uh, appeals, which some of them don't really have much to appeal on, when you tell a student, you know, give me all of your information on what you really made, and we will not tell the federal government as far as IRS that you didn't file taxes correctly. Uh, I don't yeah. think these students are actually going to provide good information to you. So it's, it's really devastating, but even those schools that appeal will still have to put the disclaimers out there until the appeals won. So the damage may be already done, even if they win the so appeal. So Greg, if I may, so this is more, this isn't a victory so much as potentially a turning point. So this is, you know, storming the beaches of Normandy and the, the momentum shifting in the battle or in the war, but the war is not won. Is that fair? That, that's very true. Uh, unfortunately, what's happened right now is because the new administration comes in, it's going to take them time to look at things. We're not sure they're going to do anything immediately to give us relief, especially on GE. Uh, it all depends on who we can get to with the transition team. I know that the two um, groups such as uh, CQ and, and uh, ACTS are both working hard on the Hill trying to make some headway so that this transition team knows what's going on, but how can yeah, they so, react? Okay, so this is really, we don't want to be too optimistic, folks, and I think the takeaway here is, you know, be hypervigilant, um, be hopeful but hypervigilant, and, and uh, we're going to speak a little bit later to how to kind of the big strategy about how to actually get up from under the mess, but um, I guess the and and so there's been rumblings that the underpinning to all this is the the student um, the student loan bubble, which is 1.3 trillion or something like that, and and so the the couple things are happening is like um, community colleges are slowly being starved of their block funding from the federal government to to the state, and then in turn the state to the schools, like Arizona. Was a, uh, I believe uh, this year uh, Fred Lockhart indicated that uh, they had voted a zero funding increase um, for their their community colleges, and and so it's um, it's tightening. Actually, sorry, zero funding. Period. That was it. So proprietary schools are going to be. It's going to be tougher to qualify students in on funding, and. Um, and communities are getting slowly starved off. So there's a kind of like uh, there's water being poured into the soup, and and all these kids need to be fed this soup, and they're putting in they're watering the soup down so the kid everybody could be fed. But it's going to be a scrap, you know. Um, Shane, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm that's a wonderful analogy, by the way. Um, I'm wondering if this is going to impact quality of delivery of the programs. Like if you have to do more with less, what gives? You know, is it that, um, I don't know, those classes are bigger? Is it that there's less programs offered? Is it that the quality of the instruction goes into decline? Is it, um, you know, I don't know why. Where do you cut budget? Well, that, you know, you've nailed it. And sorry, go ahead, jump in. The, the private career sector is held to a much higher standard than, you know, your community colleges are. As far as um, the accrediting agency is much tighter, they have to prove placement rates, they have to, you know, have a drop rate that's acceptable, et cetera. So those schools can't afford less quality. I think the quality is going to continue to stay. They may lose some programs because of GE. And we may lose some whole schools if the school only teaches one or two programs and those programs are going to 
get lost because of GE. You know, there'll be less places for the student to go. And they're not going to be able to go to community colleges because community colleges won't be able to take up the flight because they won't have the funding. Right. So, Jennifer, so really it's going to create a downward pressure on pricing. And uh, so, there, you know, one can get more efficient in their education delivery and, and maybe still um, improve quality like we've heard of things like uh, that are happening, like flipping the classroom, competency-based education, articulation agreements, blended learning. I don't know. What, like, why don't you speak to that for a moment? Sure. I, I think a lot of us throughout the last couple of years have talked about, um, you know, the GE, um, all of the laws that have been uh, hammered down on, on our partner schools. Um, I think that with a business-led administration that we have now, they're going to start focusing less on us and focusing a little bit more on education nationwide. So I'm in Kansas, so I'll use KU for example. You know, we look at an institution like that that takes on a ton of money and has a ton of programs, none of which anybody has any idea, um, you know, what, what are their graduation rates? What are their um, employment rates like because they're not held to the same standards we are? I would imagine since he's pretty fiscally sound, he's going to look at the federal dollars being dumped into every school, not just ours, which really takes that limelight off of the schools and starts, you know, saying, you're taking in 20,000 freshmen a year and you're graduating 1,000, uh, we're not going to give you as many funds anymore. So I don't know if it's less restrictive on us so much as now everybody's in the same boat. Um, and, you know, we're just, we're kind of stabbing in the dark. He's not exactly been um, easy to predict, but it's something that all of us in business have said for years. Um, you know, don't set schools with the same program to different standards depending on where they get their money. So I'm kind of... So it's a kind of a potentially might be a pinhole, like a slow race to the bottom in terms of finding a hard pen. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it's fair. But exactly. you know, there's some... All of us have been saying that for years. Yeah. Now, so switching over to like marketing, um, there are some interesting things going on in marketing. Uh, and I'm going to speak to the first one. There's a, the demo, demographics are two-thirds of everything, as we like to say. So, the, you know, just a little uh, primer. The, the boomers are a dominant demographic, and for years, you know, when the boomers sneeze, everyone catches a cold. And then, um, they, uh, and then there's the Gen X people, who the midpoint for Generation X people is like 44, 45 years old. Very small cohort compared to the boomers and they kind of mop up the entrails of the boomers and kind of in the shadows, if you will. Then there's the children of the boomers, the snide millennials, you know, the <laughs> 19 to 35-year-old people that walk across busy highways looking at their smartphones expecting people to throw the brakes on and, and all the other crazy things millennials are coming to be identified as. Um, the millennials are like my cat Milo, you know. He, Milo kind of looks through me, you know. I can't figure him out, you know. And um, maybe that's a bad analogy, Shane. But you know, the I guess where it's really going to get interesting here, Shane, is um, that the children of the genera generation X folks, the the eighteen years old and under, are tiny, tiny little demographic population group, and this is where a lot of the community colleges and many career schools will do a lot of their marketing is at the high school level, but there are very few people there now to be marketed to. Do you, do you care to speak to that? Uh, I do. I like you, Milo. You're, just, you're on fire today, buddy. Really, you're, you're killing it. Analogy um, man. Yeah, no, that's a good one. So, um... I have a couple of thoughts, and one of them goes back to the previous point, but I'll, I'll do that one second. I feel like, and, and this is um, my own politics kind of coming through, is that it's a, a characteristic of the left to deny reality to a degree. And the, 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 the demographic reality is an important one 
And I think, okay, so I think back about you know, 10 years, uh, 15 years ago to when I lived in a little community and one of the schools, the local high schools, was closing. The reason they were closing is there was just too few kids to support it, right? It was just the cost. It was a demographic shift in that community. And, hey, there just wasn't enough kids there. And all the uproar and the fussing and the articles and the outrage over how can they close the school and this government is terrible and they hate children, blah, blah, blah. When re in reality, what the government was doing in a prudent manner is responding to demographic shifts. Now, I think in marketing, we tend to have an optimistic view of our ability to, co to control our outcome. And there's, there's a tendency to be more optimistic to think, hey, we can advertise or market our way out of problems. And if we just write a better ad or a little more aggressive or upper bids and Google or whatever it is, um, that that will solve the problem. And I think that's a fundamental denial of the problem. So, so Sally, you, you know, you are, you're, you built your whole career about getting people steeped, uh, steeped in reality here. So what are your thoughts on Shane's comment here? Now, I have a tendency to agree that, you know, the problem's going to be is, is there are a lot of students out there that want to go to school. And we can't really cut costs a great deal because we don't get any state funding or federal funding other than the Title IV. We deal quite a bit with the students that don't really fall into the uh, normal college situation because some of them need more flexibility. They want um, more individualized uh, attention, that type of thing. So I think it's going to be an interesting process to see what happens in the future. The students are still going to go to school. Well, I think, but I think they'll, what Shane's getting at is uh, uh, that that it is you just cannot shake this. This is like a glacier, and you cannot blow this glacier up. the The number of people are the number of people, and right and. From I guess where where Shane's comment is coming from is the um, this is something that can't be um, manipulated and then you know the the exacerbating piece to this now is that the um, unemployment rate has gone way down and so there are, are all these so let me paint the scenario for you guys and then Jen I'm going to get you to jump in and and stack on Sally and Shane's comments so. Okay, we have a scenario coming in the coming year where um, the unemployment rate has gone down. Now, we all know that in career schools, when the unemployment rate is down, two things happen. It becomes really hard to attract new students because they're all working. And, uh, and it becomes a lot easier to go and, uh, and place your students in terms of career services. Um, because the un unemployment rate is so low and um, employers are looking to hire people. So you, then you, you load on the fact that the, the schools that are lean heavily on high school recruiting are going to go in and have less effect. They're going to redouble their efforts and go after those, as Sally was saying, the 25-year-old the, um, person who just went into work out of high school and now want to go and create a vocation for themselves. So there's going to be an intensification of uh, competition along with a, a, an M1 economic difficulty in attracting people and a demographic problem with people entering uh, out of high school. So it's kind of messed, eh? Jen, what are your thoughts? Well, it's it's so hard to predict that stuff, and we should also keep in mind that. Um, well, wait, 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 Jen, Jen, let me just let me just jump in. Uh -huh. I'm predicting it, and Shane's predicting it, and we're we're throwing money on it. That's what's going to happen, and um, so if you if you think it's wrong, just go, dude. You're all wet, and then let's talk about it. But if we're if we're right. You know, how does that play out? I've got to make it ready to 
we're uh, unemployment rates might be down, but that means that we're just not paying them unemployment. That doesn't mean that they're more employed. I think we have more underemployed people in the United States than we've ever had before. Um, you okay. know, the gap making enough and making something is far greater than it's ever been. So I think the need for people to develop skills that get them into careers and not jobs is still extremely important. And, and it's, it's something that people are continuously looking into. I do think that we need to see a variance in some of the things that we're offering. Um, I think we're beating people over the head with some of these same old sad programs. Um, and that's sort of a message I'd like to send out, you know, nationwide. <laughs> um, you know, we can't just keep saying, well, every year this program does well. Well, let's, I know we all fear the, you know, the gainful employment numbers, but maybe take some of those programs that aren't placing so well and let's let's gamble in some other spots where we think we can we can grow some better paying jobs, even if it's yeah. you know, shorter programs that might be certificate based for coding or, you know, I'm trying to reach and think of all sorts of different things. Um, while okay. you know we've said boomers are entering the uh, um, the the older uh, generation, so we need to get more um, you know medical fashion industry things. stuff. Yeah. Sure. No, okay. So so you you a little. Yeah, you're bringing up a good point that you're saying that the the unemployment rate is misstated and that there's a lot of underemployed. Now, Sally, you were going to make a comment there. Um, did you want to jump in? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, one of the things is is uh, you have to remember, I've been doing this for 36 and a half years, and I have seen this business cycle on a continuous basis. You have a lot of regulations and schools, we lose a few, everything gets tighter, then you find that, you know, we do better and then we do worse again and better. And once they can figure out what they have to do to stay in business and to enroll students, the private career sector will find a way. And I agree that we need to be more diversified in some of the programs, do some better research about the needs of the community versus just throwing a program out there like, you know, Jen mentioned to keep a program that may be dead or should be gone a long time ago. But I have one other comment regarding the GE stuff. Um, we have some programs out there that are cash cows. People don't report their income. And some of those are cosmetology, barbering, those fields in particular. You have a lot of people that go to school for the exact reason they can work flexible hours. They don't have to work full time. They had no intention of working full time. None of that's taken into consideration when they're looking at the earnings. And the other thing is those earnings, these people work under the counter and don't report their income. I have many friends that are hairdressers, and we all get our hair done. And we all know that they make a lot more than's getting reported for, per all those national averages. So, so, so if I, I could just jump in. If I could jump in. So, Shane, you spoke with a school owner who said that um, – the whole GE thing is based on, what did you say, it was felony tax frauds? Well, no, what he said, and it, it, and it took me by surprise, was that by his estimation nationwide, 90% of hairdressers are, are felony tax evaders in, the, in a le strictly legal sense of it because so, there's so much unreported income in that sector, primarily because um, most salons are chair rentals. So the, the stylist rents the chair and that's how the salon person makes their money and the stylist is just taking in, in you know, in their revenue and it's, you know, the cash goes in their pocket, it doesn't go in the bank account kind of thing. Now, Greg, I not only, wanna... not... Oh, go ahead, Sally. Not only that, you now have these little whole sections. There's one here in Fort Lauderdale called Studio 56 or something and it has probably 30 rental booths in there, and these people just rent a space. So there's no way to control or have any idea how much business they even do. Yeah. And that business does, they report very little of it. And it's not the school's fault that somebody doesn't report their income. No, it's not. It's the IRS's fault for not enforcing federal regulations. And I so don't it really how they is a bit. It's really a victim's uh, a victim uh, environment, um, and then of course the other piece that that folds into this that folks are really not 
squared their shoulders up and faced facts on this is that if admissions reps lie or use puffery or get too optimistic, they can put their school in a position where the school will shut down. And we've seen a number of schools, you guys, that have had to close because of some puffery, some exaggeration. Misrepresentation. Yeah. It's called so, res yeah. Yeah, misrepresentation would be the the hard word. Uh, the people in uh, industry would say, "Oh, they're just kind of excited," or ex but you can't. But Jen, Jen Flood, you you cannot. Um, you, it, it's been run by Aspergery people here. The 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 pinheads in government are they're 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 making people. There's no gray. There's no nuance to this at all anymore. Um, expand on that, please. Sure. I mean, we just saw um, today the Federal Trade Commission handed on a $10 million fine for misrepresentation. Um, you, you know, and we're not just referring to current administration. Like I said before, we've got state AGs who have open investigations on misappropriate advertising and um, in the way some of our admission reps are handling things. If you're not monitoring those people, um, man, you, you could you know, anyone working as an agent for your company, no matter what kind of business you have, if they misrepresent your product or your service in any way, you're in a world of hurt. So the only way to uh, to make sure that's not happening is to make sure you're keeping an eye on those things, whether that's auditing calls or, you know, making calls yourself uh, to make sure they're saying and doing the right things on a continuous basis. Um, because if you're not keeping an eye on the hen house, I mean, things, are, things can go awry pretty quickly. Um, you know, we've tried to get rid of incentivizing for those people, but I don't know that it really has made a, a huge difference, um, so so much so that we don't need to monitor those activities. It's very interesting. And so, and, and then, of course, there's the whole piece around social media. And social media is, is supposed to be like a, uh, a bastion of freedom on the, on the Internet. And, um, and so, the, the, yet, you know, things that are said... Um, it, the social media SEO, it's all come down to content management, pushing out content. And what most people don't realize is that social media is not free. Like Facebook is a very has a very thin organic skin over top of it that runs a that run a, a massive paid search machine. Like revenue generated per user since they've gone public has increased. I think it's five hundred percent. And um, it's just this exponential increase in revenue generated by advertising that sits underneath. And when you push out a, a social, uh, like a post on Facebook, as an example, organically, it'll make uh, it to like 3% of your people. So they've created it in such a way that you they tease you with some nominal thing, but you have to use their paid search marketing machine to get any kind of traction. And Shane, it, well, you and I have interesting talks about this. Just so much of this is really BS, isn't it, pal? Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, social media, I, I kind of got two core thoughts on it. One, that, sure, they're trying to make money and, and while we've all been conditioned to view it as like a free, as a kind of a PR channel, it's not a PR channel. It's an advertising channel. And for a bit, you know, the, the money is always in businesses because users are not going to pay. Like if, if Facebook started charging five bucks a month, they'd lose 95% of their users overnight. So the only way for them to generate revenue is to charge businesses to get access to a market. And that's fine. But you know, you need to allocate budget for social media, for Facebook, or whatever, um, as if it's just another advertising source. It's not. There's no earned media. It's not PR. I think. So what's interesting? Sorry, go ahead, Shane. I, I butt in. Yeah. So that's the kind of the logistics marketing tactic lens on it. I think there's something worse going on though, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. There's been widespread um, accusations and documentation of, of, of social media, especially Twitter and Facebook, um, censoring opinion they don't agree with. 
So in the last election, you know, during the election, which was you know, long and toughly fought, um, there was a number of instances where, where, where conservative voices were shut down on these social media platforms. And so there's, a, there's an element of censorship that has emerged, which is, to me, incredibly dangerous to democracy and freedom. Now, whether that has marketing implications or not, I don't really know, but it's scary. I think democracy and freedom might be for another podcast, but the um, um, yeah, your point is taken, and I think what people um, in terms of social media don't realize is the algorithms in terms of search engines, Facebook, what have you, are such that the people they get people get fed news that supports their browsing activities. So, with traditional media. Uh, you can you get a, a full array of of opinion, and you may disagree with some of it, but you may agree with others uh, some of it. Point is, is it's a it's a bell curve of opinion. Um, now there's obviously a skew, right? Like Democracy Now skews to the left, Fox News skews to the right, but with with online media. You stack on your, you stack. It's like if you like donuts, right? And then people start serving you more donuts and more donuts because they they found out you like donuts. Now uh, that's that's just how the whole thing is organized, and it's creating a very thin mind, uh, a very thin, narrow mind. It blinkers our society. Now that has marketing implications. We just don't quite know where that's going to blow up. One of the other pieces that's going to, that's spinning out of this whole thing is reputation management, and you know what's going on now. This is a trend: is that you people listening, you have to realize that when somebody complains about you on the search engine, it's never going to go away unless you go to extraordinary lengths to somehow get it taken down, and so. If a if a business is weak and it, it receives complaints due to their business practices, um, these these complaints they accumulate and accumulate, and it's a real downward pressure on any creating any kind of success. It's like those GE um, pieces that sit on the website are also out in the world, and um, and they're accumulating, and they can't be. It's like an it's like the whisper game where somebody starts a negative rumor about a person and it just goes and goes, and then before you know it, that person's been branded as a whatever. Um, so that is something that people need to be really, really careful of. Um, anybody care to weigh in on that one? I have one comment. I, I think it's kind of like the restaurant business and the hotel business and any other place that you see a complaint turn up, you can't really ignore it. You need to try to reach out to that person, put something on there to say, you know, I'm sorry this happened to you. Maybe we can offer you free tuition or another course or, or something to show that you're just not ignoring the whole thing. Well, yeah, that's exactly it. And um, I guess really speaking to that point, Sally, um, I think going forward, with all these, these constraints and these economic and de demographic constraints and the regulatory constraints, um, while people are now getting their, their, their head around it, this is a year that you, you cannot be lazy. You cannot be resting on your laurels. You, and you have to, uh, as Shane and I have spoken, you, you need to look at your program offerings, how you run your school, the same as um, Elon Musk looks at Tesla. How, do, how does he make Tesla to be a world-class car or world-class roof shingles that are solar-powered? How did Steve Jobs look at Apple in terms of making it a world-class company? Um, and I think it's absolutely crucial that um, schools from 360 degrees uh, Stay, as we say, stay in the stay in this question, and not release this question, no matter 
how uncomfortable it may be because um, if one does not dedicate themselves to excellence in terms of their offering for the next year or two, there are, there are all these people outside the moat that want to go and, uh, you know, take a school out. So there's danger now. Whereas before, becoming world-class was just a fun thing to do. Hey, how do we become world-class? Well, now schools have to become world-class because there are all these attorney generals at the state level. There are regulators. There's FTC people. There's demographics well, there's low, low, at play. There, there's innovation in program delivery that are having negative price pressure. Greg, can I give an example? I just pulled up a stat while you were talking. Yeah, you bet. It ties back a little bit. So I just pulled up the, the, un, the reported unemployment rate versus the, what they call the real unemployment rate, which include, includes basically the discouraged. You know, the people have just left the labor market. They're not collecting unemployment money. They're just, they're just kind of ghost people. So 2016, the reported unemployment rate is 4.9%. Uh, but the real unemployment rate is, is identified as 9.9%. I don't know how accurate that is, but basically double what the reported one is. So an example of, of real delivery um, innovation would be something that somehow spoke to that 5% of the market, the 5% of the population in the country who is, is discouraged, defeated, beaten, given up, feels like they're, they've lost and has just succumbed to that. How do you inspire that 5% of the, of, your, of the country to, to feel like they, should, they can try again? How I will answer that, and then I'm going to have the ladies weigh in. Here's an example of an idea. You go to those ghost people, and you say, hey, look, um, my break-even point is 15. I have 17 people in my class. You come in and uh, I'll educate you for free and then you pay me when you graduate. So now I can just I can just sense all the people going, no way, no way, that's a stupid idea. But you know what, maybe it's not a stupid idea because um, maybe half of those people pay and half of those people paying off of uh, dead intake seats better than, you know, getting paid 100% of nothing. I don't know. Jen, do you think that's a, that's a crazy idea, hey? Yeah, I mean, well, that's sort of backwards for it, really any business model, but um, they, I've seen the government do that for a lot of other industries. Um, you know, one in particular, which has maybe halfway to do with, with some of our debt problems, is the subprime debt issue. Um, they started um, doing that. The government required fees to be taken at the end of the service. Uh, that started, oh, maybe six years ago. So it's something I've seen them do. Uh, I don't think anybody would be in the business anymore if we had to provide services for years upon years and then charge. Um, I don't think any of us could do that um, in any business. But I've seen it done. Um, so it's certainly not something that, um, you know, will trade you $20,000 for a degree. I, I've, I mean, it's, I suppose it's possible, but... I think we'd see a whole lot of people getting out of the business. Maybe. Uh, Jenna, I, I, no, Sally, please. Okay. I, I think the problem is going to be this. Uh, the student may still be eligible for Pell Grant while they're in school. They definitely are eligible for loans while they're in school because there's no credit checks, et cetera. So now you have a student that's probably going to get Pell and will definitely get loans. And if you're not collecting any money until the end of the program, that money's long spent. And I don't think they're going to pay you at all. All right. So you guys, the three of you guys think that my idea is crap, eh? Well, you know what? <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> uh, Greg, I did not say that. And I appreciate the spirit of the idea. I think what, <laughs> well, what, you know, you're getting logistical, um, uh, objections to a philosophical question is what I think the real issue is. So mm -hmm. you know whether that's whether that's the thing or not. I think a rhetorical question that may lead to some measure of innovation in a in a school is how do we 
take the 5% of the population that is defeated. They're the walking dead. They've just, they've, America has taken them in and spit them out in some manner or other. Like that's how they feel emotionally. How do we find some means to give that portion of the population some hope and some reason to pick themselves up and try again? Now, that's just this example. There are other things, there are, there are countless ways to innovate. That's, I think, a rhetorical question that warrants some thought. Here's another rhetorical question along those lines. How do we um, reduce our tuition costs for our market by 30% while maintaining uh, a reasonable profit margin on the bottom line? Oh, increasing your profit margin. Come on, go for it, man. Don't, uh, let's, <laughs> that's the point of innovation, right, is how do we charge less and make more? Don't that's be a right. Wuss. Yeah. Don't be a know. wuss. I don't know either. Uh, now, um, Sally, you have to leave pretty soon. Uh, uh, and we may have a couple of questions uh, coming our way. I'm not sure. Charlie, what, what are your thoughts on this? Is uh, really the, the solution to a lot of these problems can can be by maybe 217 is the year where schools really have a look inward on how to create excellence in the, what they do. I, I think part of the problem is is the school field they have to take everybody that walks through the door, and that's not the case. I think they feel between accrediting and the federal government because they're using federal money that, you know, as long as a student has a high school diploma, they need to take them in. And that's not necessarily true. I believe they need to do some better screening for the program they put them in. I think mm -hmm. most of these schools should add some type of a assessment test to see, you know, is the student even going to be able to complete? The fact that they have a high school diploma doesn't mean anything anymore. Some of them just got pushed through and, and they really aren't qualified. So maybe they offer some uh, free tutoring on the front end to make sure they have success and some other options to the student. Many of these students have been to seven or eight schools and they don't necessarily want to get a degree either or a certificate. They just like going to school. Got it. So you're, you're saying that, uh, you know, part of this is to, is to really strive for that perfect student, perfect graduate. and. Uh, to do a better job. Better of, yeah, qualification is what we call it in sales, eh? And better right. to, to, to go and make a greater effort to properly qualify. Um, we have some software that solves that problem, by the way. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So I think we're, um, we're kind of winding down. And um, Shane, what are we giving away uh, in this uh, podcast? We're going to give away a little gift. A Christmas gift. That's well, right. Well, I think we should give mm -hmm. away, given we had, we had a chat about uh, uh, social media and we had a chat about marketing and we had a chat about product, I think we should give away... Um, uh, some strategic time going through our, our enrollment management scorecard process, which is a best practice scan of marketing and admissions tactics and helps the school understand whether they're kicking butt or whether they could be kicking butt by making just a few little changes to some of their internal systems. What do you think of that? You, I think that's a great idea. Let's do it, shall we? Okay. So the first – sorry, go ahead. How do they get it? How, how do we select some winners? Well, I think we should just do it by like a like a um, a race, you know, like a horse race. So, the first five people that call um, our number by text message, uh, that'll be the best way to go and see who comes in first. We'll um, offer the scorecard uh, sessions uh, for free, and uh, no strings attached. And so here's the text number. It's 250-391-9494. First five in the door, get the freebies. I think that's fair, hey? 
What's that worth, Greg? Oh, um, just under $1,000 for uh, the, the process. Awesome. Awesome. Merry Christmas. I said it. Merry and Christmas said a thousand ways. Um, Jen and Sally, any final words or? No, my only thought is, you know, we, we've been doing this a lot of years. Most of us are going to survive. You just have to, to tighten things up, do the best job you can, and uh, follow the rules. Yeah. Jen, how about you? Final words? Yeah, I'll, I'll um, tag on the end of the back of that one. Follow the rules, know the rules. Um, you know, we come oh. across people every day that just aren't sure or they, you know, made a mishap and weren't aware. Um, you know, if you have questions, there are so many of us that are willing to, to help you walk through some stuff or, or audit things for you, you know, whatever it might be. Um, you know, ignorance of the law is, is no excuse. So if you have questions, you know, talk to anybody on this call today. We'll help you out. Even if the law is like a Gregorian knot. I guess that's what people like you are around for, to help make sense of the mess, eh? <laughs> I try. I do my best to put it in plain language for people. You know, it, it just occurred to me, Jen, I think you would be an awesome awesome sheriff. I think you should run for sheriff <laughs> in Kansas City. they have that? Um, yeah, yeah it's available. Sheriff what? Yeah. Get a little, get the badge you could wear on your suits. Right, and a long, long-range rifle, and you can like bring it. a horse Absolutely. out, horse out once in a while, you know. Yeah, in all seriousness, Boom. I'm actually looking into maybe mayor. That sounds fun. Really? Start. All right, well, you'd make an excellent mayor too. Sheriff, though, I think would suit your your law, your justice kind of ethos. I like it. I agree. Okay, folks, is there anyone that has any questions? Uh, Catherine, is there anybody who's stacked up any questions by chance? Or? No, 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 no Catherine there. Um, all right, so folks, we haven't heard from Catherine. Uh, so anybody has any questions, please call Sally Samuels at FAME. Call Jennifer Flood at National Compliance Group, or marketing admissions questions, contact Shane or I. And if you want to get a really good, up-to-date, professional um, information sent right to your, do your door, contact Lee Doubleday, and he'll, he'll set you up for a subscription for Career College Central. And I just, oh, and next week, um, Paul Bertarelli will be doing some uh, some readings from Dylan Th Dylan Thomas, and we'll be sending that out to the world, a little Christmas thing. So, everybody, don't be scared of 2017. Just tear it up and focus on becoming excellent. Have a great Christmas, a great holiday season, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. All the best. Happy holidays to everyone. This podcast is brought to you Here's by Enrollment Resources, Innovations in Enrollment Management. Learn more at enrollmentresources.com.